Welcome back to the podcast. I'm Anna Shaw. And I'm Kate Wilson. This week I spoke to Christy Duncan uh, from Women in Payments, a really great chat, one that I was quite looking forward to as well. Christy uh, started Women in Payments, which um, if if you're not familiar with it, it's uh, basically an organisation that brings women working in payments and financial services together. They run a series of conferences around the world, um, which are really brilliant. They, I went to one a couple of years ago where um, we had some really great female speakers uh, talking about banking, talking about payments, talking about all of those, those, those topics, but also talking about the importance uh, of female leadership and how you get more leaders within uh, this space. In particular, I guess, a, an industry which has uh, predominantly been quite male dominated in the past, and we still don't have a lot of female representation at those higher levels of banks. Um, so that was a topic that we, we spoke about in, in a fair bit of detail, looking at how we can drive greater diversity, not just um, gender diversity, but other types of diversity as well. And Chris, you raised some really great points, I think, about the roles um, that different people have to play in that. So having men as allies, men putting women forward. Um, I know something we see a lot at RFI is, is women not necessarily putting them forward for things like events and speaking opportunities. Um, so talking about a lot of that sort of stuff and then also talking about just the extent to which having women in those leadership positions can really help uh, businesses but also the end customers. I think the women in payments just in general it's such a great idea and I remember going to an event a couple of years ago when they were talking about one of the speakers was speaking about um, the value in in um, actually paying for maternity leave and actually encouraging women to come back to work at that same company. And I remember just feeling like it was it was so eye-opening to just think about the fact that it costs more to lose someone who goes on maternity leave and doesn't come back than to actually pay to keep them, pay them you know decent benefits as well, and then have them return because you then get to keep that wealth of experience. And I think in financial services, there's so much value in having you know, widespread experience and um, different and diversity as well as another area that I think really um, is valuable in payments and in financial services and of course in all industries but I think your conversation with Christy was one that we're both really excited about and I think there's a lot of really important topics as well like you mentioned about diversity and leadership and also just men putting women forward because I know we speak about this with events that we'll have a panel with with four men and the conversation that sometimes happens in the background is could any of those men have put a female colleague forward for that you know is there opportunity to actually say I know you want me to speak but I know this great woman in my company who could also share their perspective and I think that's still a change we're yet to see in the industry particularly you know in events particularly um, but I think that's so much to learn and having someone like Christy with that experience um, would have been I think such a such a great and eye-opening conversation. We're still just so socialized I think as women to not put ourselves forward for things um, I mean there's that um, that idea about men, if they look at a job ad and they think they can do 50% of the role, they'll put themselves forward and women won't unless they think they can do absolutely everything on a, on a job description. I think, um, it, I mean, it's a hard one to, to tackle because I think a lot of it is, is really ingrained and um, a lot of gender stereotypes still persist. But, you know, I know that I've had that experience as well of, of not putting myself forward for something, thinking, oh, there's someone out there who's um, better suited to that or has more experience than I do. But um, having that diversity of opinion and diversity of thought is so important, even if maybe it means you're having um, someone who's speaking who maybe doesn't have as much experience, but has a very different experience and a very different viewpoint. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that does show through in some of our research as well, where we can see that you know, some of the results we're seeing um, do suggest that potentially men are a little bit more confident in their ability to do things or know things. Um, and I know you had a couple of data points to share. Do you want to talk us through those? 
Yeah, absolutely. So one of the things, um, I mean, I know we've been having this conversation, but this idea of having women, having diverse people who are making decisions in banking is, is an idea that I've really been thinking about quite a, a bit this year. If, you know, if, if people do have different needs, if you don't have the right people in the room making decisions and being conscious of those needs, then you end up with products which really aren't suited to everyone. And I think it, um, over my years at RFI, I've been quite resistant to the idea of doing gender cuts and gender analysis on our data with, you don't want to play into those stereotypes. You don't want to play into the idea that, that women are different. Um, you know, you want to try and promote that gender equality. Um, but I think there's some, some valid uh, reasons why we should be looking at things from a gender view and looking at how men and women have different attitudes towards banking and finance. Um, so what I've done is I've pulled out some interesting stats and um, I know you'll, you'll like some of these, Anna. These are all ones really talking about women's attitudes towards banking and finance. And um, I was quite shocked by some of these, actually. So I think the first one, um, which I would mention, I think has a, some far-reaching uh, implications as well. Um, women are more debt-averse than men, which isn't something I'd really thought about much before. Um, but women are significantly more likely to say they feel uncomfortable when they're borrowing money. Um, if they had an unexpected bill, women are significantly less likely to say that they would use a credit card to pay that bill. They're much more likely to rely on savings and also on buy now, pay later, which I think raises another question. We've seen in our data over time, buy now, pay later being uh, more utilised by women compared to men. And I think we've always just assumed that's because of the types of partnerships that buy now, pay later providers have had. So Afterpay, partnering with lots of fashion brands and, and maybe that perception of women shopping with those types of brands to a greater extent. But I wonder if there's something there as well around because women are more debt averse, something like buy now, pay later really meets their needs maybe in a different way um, to, to a man who isn't at, as um, uncomfortable when it comes to uh, using credit. And then the other point um, that came out of our data was women uh, are a bit more likely to say that they are struggling with financial burdens. So they feel more likely to say they feel overwhelmed um, by financial burdens. Um, they're also more likely to say that they think that they need help. So um, they are more likely to say, I don't think I'm completely in control of managing my finances. I think I do need someone to help me manage my finances to a significantly higher degree than what we see um, for men. So for example, about 60% uh, of men say, I'm completely in control of my, my finances, completely in control of my money, I don't need any help. For women, that's only 40%. So a really big, perhaps unmet need there around helping women um, with managing their, their, their finances and their money. That idea about being overwhelmed with financial burdens, I think is really important as well, because there's, you know, there's one, one topic which is thinking about investments. So how comfortable women are taking risks. And we know that women are less likely to be comfortable taking risks compared to men, if we look at the sort of traditional schools of thinking around that. Um, but then when it comes to just general financial burdens and general finance, the idea that women are more likely to feel overwhelmed, I think is the biggest concern, because if you're thinking about then relying on or how, how women are using credit, how they're relying on different products, how comfortable they are looking into their options, even reassessing whether or not their financial products suit their needs and actually looking at it, looking at their finances and going, I'm in a good position or I need to change something. I think even to look at your finances and really assess your spending and your saving can be quite confronting. And this idea that women already feel more overwhelmed, I can imagine particularly when you add the, the life, stage, life stage element to that, where when there are dependents, when you're you know, feeding a family or you're caring for you know, parents, things like that, then there's this level of um, this, I think, opportunity for, I guess, more 
consideration of how do you make financial services products and educational tools and you know bank websites and any kind of tool that can help a customer how can you make that accessible easy to understand but also how do you encourage women to look into finances and also just make them feel a bit more confident like we know with the pandemic the idea of reassurance has become more and more important so reassuring me that my money is safe or that um, that my bank will help me if I can't pay my home loan for one month or things like that this idea of reassurance has become more and more important with the pandemic really increasing financial stress and I can imagine for women that's just as relevant where you want reassurance that you know the products suit you or that you're managing managing your money in a way that that works um, but I think there's still a lot of opportunity to have women in the room when these decisions are being made you know actually um, figure out how do you make products and how do you educate customers to really feel like they know the products they have and kind of know what to do know how to make take the next step how to who to talk to as well and I think that that point you made about the proportion who need help managing money and finances is quite key as well. So men are less likely to say they need help. Women are more likely to say they need help. Does it mean they have the same likelihood or the same needs? Maybe not. Maybe it's just a confidence piece as well. But the fact that women are openly saying they're more likely to need uh, help or they're, they're more likely than men to say they need help, I think that signals a real opportunity in the market to you know, offer the help or make it clear where women can actually go to get that help. Yeah, giving women back confidence. I think there's, as you said, is it that women need more help or is it that they don't have that same level of confidence that men do? And how is that shutting out them out of opportunities and out of products? Um, and I think there's often, you know, this perception of debt is a bit of a, a necessary evil. Um, there's a lot of debate that goes on about credit cards versus buy now, pay later versus personal loans. Um, and sometimes there's this, this idea that it's not good for people to have um, debt, but debt is necessary. And if you're a if you're a parent, if you have a family and you need to borrow money um, and borrow money in a way that is affordable in order to do what you you need to do and to achieve what you need to achieve, you know, it's probably a it's not a great it's not great that women feel like they shouldn't do that or women feel um, uncomfortable doing that maybe because they just don't feel like they have all of the information that they need or don't have that level of understanding of how credit and how debt works and are maybe thinking through maybe the longer term consequences to a great extent than men, um, maybe thinking about it in a slightly different way. So I think, it, as you said, um, it's about making sure that help is there and that help is tailored to different life stage needs, I think, as well, probably as, um, as to um, different genders. I think life stage is probably the other thing that we, we haven't spoken about that I'm sure plays into these results as well. Absolutely. And I think the idea that I really like is when when thinking about finances and banking and products and, you know, ideas of your spending and saving, what really needs to happen is customers need to be empowered with their own information. So knowing your position actually enables you to make more clear decisions and enables you to kind of be in control or feel a little bit more in control because you've got an idea of where you sit. And I think a lot of it comes down to uncertainty. And with the pandemic, uncertainty has really increased. People just aren't sure you know what's going to happen week to week let alone can I buy a house in five years or as is my retirement savings are they safe and secure when I retire at 60 or 70 you know that just seems too far away it's too scary to think about but I think with the right tools and education and I think with the right people in the room to really shape these conversations and the product design and you know advertisements and marketing efforts I think that's going to make make a massive difference and I think women like Christy Duncan who are you know specifically looking at 
women in payments and diversity and role models and you know encouraging men to actually support women is I think it's it's really helping make um, make a positive change and I'm really looking forward to, to hearing this episode. Absolutely let's get into it. Welcome to the podcast. Uh, so great to have you on the show, Christy. I'm so delighted to be here. Thanks, Kate. Why don't you start off by telling us a little bit about yourself and your background? Okay, well, to um, make the long story short, uh, I am an engineer by training, a banker by trade, and a payments geek by nature. So I've been doing women in payments for 10 years. Before that, I worked at one of the big Canadian banks and uh, I've got an engineering degree and I just love payments. And it's been fantastic to see payments around the world now that I'm running Women in Payments. I am very much of the, the same idea. I love, I love payments. Um, the Women in Payments event that I went to a couple of years ago in Australia was amazing, bringing together two things that I love so much, women in leadership and payments and banking, what else would you want in a conference? But why don't you tell us a little bit more about um, what led you to start Women in Payments and why this forum is so important? Awesome. Well, thanks for that question. Um, I'm really excited because we are now in our 10th year. We've got our 10th annual Canadian conference coming up in September. So just a couple months away and we're getting excited to be able to celebrate that. So I started this 10 years ago on the side of my desk. I was consulting in the payments market at that time and wanted to add value in a different way. And I thought, you know, what might that look like? Can I do some education or training? And then I thought, well, maybe a mini conference. And how do I make that mini payments conference different from all the other payments conferences out there? And I looked at my consulting work and I found that three quarters of my contracts had come from women. And I thought, oh, this is really interesting. I wonder what that is. Is it a communication thing? Is it a trust thing? Is it a comfort level? I thought, well, maybe we could get some women payments geeks like me together to chat about payments for the day. That would be awesome. So I, I uh, wanted to get 50 women and five sponsors on that first time around back in 2012. And to my delight and surprise, I had 160 women participate with 10 sponsors. So I thought, wow, this is cool. Let's try this again. So the following year I did it and we got 250 attendees. And the year after we got 350, at which point I said, okay, let's try this in the States. So we launched in the US in 2014 and then I was in Asia for a year. So launched in Australia in 2016 and then UK 2018, Singapore 2019 and this year we're launching virtually in Latin America. Yeah, and I've, I've been to both uh, in-person and virtual conferences. I can say that they are both excellent in terms of the content. And um, one of the things that I really loved about going to the, the first Women in Payments conference I went to was just the focus on not just banking and payments. Which, as you said, everyone um, loves talking about that, right? Um, we all love talking about banking and payments, but the idea of having so many female leaders in a room to talk about leadership as well. Um, I'd be very keen to get your thoughts on sort of the, the role or, or the importance of having female leadership within, in particular, such a, a male-dominated or historically male-dominated sector like banking and financial services. Um, 
what I might start off with is we're obviously still a, a long way from achieving 50-50 gender equality in leadership within the financial services industry. What is it that you think that is stopping us from, from getting to gender equality? That's a great question. Well, first of all, opportunities for sure. Um, and that's one thing at Women in Payments we try to do is give women opportunities. Get up and speak to build your industry profile so people know who you are and you know, build some confidence on that stage, be it the virtual stage or the real stage. And also just to learn from others and to get inspiration from some of the women role models who are now in senior roles in the industry. What can the industry do? There is absolutely so much. Um, we'll talk a little bit about quotas versus targets, but I think as, as an industry, we have the, the responsibility to give all of our employees equal opportunities. And uh, we can do that by supporting women, helping to mentor them, to sponsor them, like often men do with other men. They'll you know, take a protege under their wing and kind of guide them, guide them along. And I think we need to do that more often with women as well, coaching them, uh, helping them to build confidence, helping them to, to understand and learn the ropes of, you know, how do you build that career over a number of years? There's, there's so many things that we can do. We can um, build in our policies to, you know, have equal hiring practices to mandate that every short list that we put forward has, you know, an equal number of men and women on it. We can um, make sure that we have blind um, short lists so that, you know, here's the short list, but we've removed all, you know, we've removed the name. So it's just candidate A, B, C, D. We've removed all kind of gender um, identifying um, indications on those resumes so that we're looking at just the qualifications and we can really then um, um, assess the candidates based on their qualities and experience and, and attributes. And we've seen that in other industries. I, I read a, an article about one of the symphonies in the US that did their auditions and when they started, they, they found that they kept getting these, all these men for violins, you know, virtuosos. And, and they thought, well, what is this all about? And they decided that it was because they, there was bias in the judging panels. And so then they started putting a screen in the front of the stage so that the judges sitting in the audience could not see who was auditioning. And they still found that because people were coming in with their shoes on, the judges could tell if they're high heels or men's shoes. So after that, they started inviting the audition, the people auditioning to come in in their sock feet without shoes. And then, only then, did they get truly balanced results. And I think that that probably ties in nicely to the next question around quotas. I think um, there's often this perception that quotas 
uh, or, or a negative perception around quotas, but I think there's so much unconscious bias that goes into some of these decisions that perhaps quotas is um, where we need to go. I'd be keen to get your thoughts on or whether you think quotas are necessary to achieve gender equality. Um, is that how we get to, uh, I guess, not just gender equality, but more diverse leadership in general? Oh, that's a great question and a, a politically charged one for sure, <laughs> Kate. Um, so the research I've seen says that women earlier in their careers absolutely do not believe in quotas and they don't want to be just ticking a box. But women who are further along in their careers after they've seen the history and the reality of, you know, we've only got targets and they may or may not be met and there's no consequences if they don't, that the needle's not moving. We've seen in countries where they do put in quotas that they work. And there's, you know, always the, the argument that, well, then we're going to pass over people who might otherwise be qualified and they might not get those job advancements opportunities. But that's what's happening today with women. And there was one great quote actually from an Australian woman, Jane Carroll, you might recall her. She said uh, at one of our conferences a couple of years ago, she said, well, I don't know why we shouldn't have, you know, 100% quotas for, for women in leadership. We've had 100% quotas for men for the last two centuries and it's worked. <laughs> Nobody <laughs> complained about that. So, I mean, that's, that's kind of putting it, taking it to the extreme. But I, I do think that quotas can work if we're very careful and deliberate about them. And perhaps that's what we need to have in place to actually get to parity and then we can go from there. That um, that talk that Jane Carroll did at, at Women in Payments really stuck with me. And she was talking about, I think, not just, um, not just leadership, but also all the other things that we sort of take for granted in terms of what areas where women aren't represented and the things that impact women, which we're just so used to seeing and, and, and don't think about in terms of how we change them. Um, I'd be also keen to know if you if you think there's anything else we need to do to make the system more fair and more equitable. So spoken about quotas, um, masking applications, what else can we do to make sure that women are getting those access to those opportunities that men have have perhaps taken for granted in the past? Yeah, great question. We have so much opportunity and there's so many good reasons why we need to be doing this. And I think companies are are really behind the eight ball if they're not cluing into this. So there was a great quote actually also in the Australian Financial Review a few years ago saying that if innovation comes from our STEM uh, education streams, the science, technology, engineering, and math, and if you know the majority, 80% or 90% of those graduates are men, then we are only innovating with half our population. So there's huge opportunity there and we as leaders in our organizations have the responsibility, I think, to, to really help promote that gender agenda. And it's, it's not just gender, it's the whole spectrum of different strands of diversity. So of course, gender is one of the bigger ones, but we've got cultural diversity, we've got ethnic diversity, we've got you know, sexual orientation, we've got so many different um, areas that we, we can offer have opportunities to promote that. I, I think ultimately when we get to the point of actually reflecting the makeup of our population, our target market, our customers with the 
makeup of our teams who service them, be they in product or sales or, or leadership or customer support, then we will have a, a far better uh, understanding of what that customer journey is, what the customer needs are, et cetera. So having those kinds of, of mandates within our own policies is really important. Having those targets and some organizations around the world are doing a really, really good job of that. Um, so I think we need to reflect in our policies. This It needs to be built into the fabric of our organizations that we are you know, gender neutral, that we do give equal opportunities, that we are committed to advancing women's careers, not only for the benefit of the women, but for the benefit of our customers, but the benefit of our employee engagement so that it actually builds our teams so that everybody feels more welcome and valued, but also the, the benefit of our shareholders. I mean, it has been proven that um, companies with more women in leadership actually have higher ROIs. There's also a study that showed that companies with more women at leadership levels file more patents, something like 10 or 15% more patents. So, so women, companies with more uh, women in leadership levels are actually more innovative. So all of these are great ways and, and reasons why we should be promoting the, the gender agenda, as I call it. And I think we need to really be working hard to, to put these kinds of proactive policies in place at the organization level so that we can actually make that happen. And it's not just same old, same old the way we've been doing business for the last hundred years. Yeah, we will come back to that idea of what's the, the end benefit of having more diverse leadership. But I think one of the things that you just said that really stuck with me was the having, um, having leadership teams and having product teams that represent the customers and your target market. Um, as someone who's worked in market research for almost 10 years, I can, I can absolutely confirm that people assume that other people have the same experience of the, as they do. And not having that diversity of experience means that you're thinking about customers who look and act and, and have the same life experience as you. So having that diversity is so important when you're thinking about creating new products, solving customer pain points. Indeed. Um, thinking about how we, how we get there, how we, how we solve some of these problems, what role do you see men playing in terms of uh, promoting gender equality, supporting gender equality? As you mentioned, men generally do make up a large proportion of, of leadership roles at the moment. So how do we get sort of the right buy-in and, and what do we need to do in order to work together uh, to get more diversity? Oh, fantastic question. So men, I think, have to be our allies here. We need that allyship, be it from, from men and the, and the leaders and the policymakers, and and that because so many men are in decision-making roles at the moment, we need their buy-in to help promote this change. And I think just understanding what the challenges are that women face, uh, it's great when we get men who are mentors to women because that two-way dialogue helps that them to see what challenges women actually do face in the workforce. So we need men who are champions, who are allies, who are mentors for women in their careers, and also who are sponsors, who are willing to put themselves 
know, and their own reputations on the line to say, you know, this woman would be fantastic for this role. And I think we really should, um, should offer her this role and giving women those opportunities. And it's funny, you know, in, in uh, hindsight, often we can see that uh, men will do that for other men. And they will say, you know what, this guy is ready for this role. And I think we should take a chance and let him grow into it. Um, but we don't see that as often with women. And I think we need to really um, notice those, those gender differences, but also our own biases, our own biases in the way that we think and promote others, be they men, women, or, or uh, others transit diversity. So I think there's huge opportunity. Those men can coach women, they can mentor and support them and, and sponsor them, but also help to call out the unconscious or conscious bias that exists in our organizations. And it exists in the, in the hiring process, it exists in the promotion process, it exists at the boardroom level, it exists you know, in meetings, it exists so many places. And I find myself getting caught up in it. Even you know, when I listen to a radio interview and they're talking about, well, we talked to Dr. Smith about this and I'm expecting a man's voice to come on. And, you know, so I still catch myself and, oh, Christy, you know, that's, that's an unconscious gender bias. Now you need to really always be aware of it and be calling myself out, but be calling others out and we can learn from each other. And, uh, you know, we often view ourselves in, through the lens of other people's eyes. And, and I think having men do that more consciously and more often would also be really helpful. Yeah, one of the things we've found at RFI running our conferences is um, women very rarely put themselves forward to speak at conferences. And, and often you will have to, to prompt for a female speaker and, and the ones we get are great, but they, they're just not putting themselves to the same extent that, um, that men do. And I think there's, there's just a, a different um, approach perhaps in, in terms of the way women sometimes see themselves in some of those roles. And I know I've done that myself as well, thinking, um, no, I'll wait for someone to ask me to do that rather than, than putting myself forward for it. So I think that importance of men supporting on that is really key. Well, yeah, and that's a fantastic point, Kate. Women do tend to, to be more reticent about putting themselves forward. And I remember, you know, as a young analyst at, you know, at a bank, and I worked in my little corner and thought, if I do a really good job, someone will notice and someone will promote me. Well, that is not how it works. First of all, people have to know who you are and know what your work is and, and uh, be, have that awareness. And that's both within your organization, but also across the industry. Because as you say, there's other opportunities other than just job opportunities. There's going out and speaking at conferences. And I've had a number of speakers come to me after they spoke at some of our events and say, you know, I haven't spoken at an event before, but after I spoke at Women in Payments, somebody else called and said, oh, would you mind speaking here? Or somebody else called and said, I've got a job opportunity I'd like you to apply. And I think that's something that we as leaders, particularly men, but women as well, should be more conscious of is that because women are less bold about putting themselves forward or perhaps less confident, that we need to tap them on the shoulder and say, you know, I think you'd be great for this panel. Why don't you put your name forward? Or I think you'd be good for this role. Perhaps you should apply. 
And, and those kinds of prompts and, um, you know, demonstrations of confidence are fantastic at helping women to say, oh, think so, really? And uh, there are some research that's showed a much higher percentage of men than women CEOs actually imagine themselves as CEOs earlier in their careers. Often the women said, oh no, I never dreamed, never dreamed of being CEO. So I think we need to think bigger and help pay it forward to younger women to really help encourage them to, to um, not sit back, but to be more proactive in managing their careers. I read something today actually that said as um, as women who are going through this sort of shift change around gender equality, it's our responsibility to make sure that we are being represented in these leadership roles, in these positions, because the women who come after us will see gender equality, will see diversity, um, and they won't think, oh, I need to be wait, I need to wait for someone to, to ask me to do that. They'll put themselves forward for it because they're, as you said, more able to imagine themselves in those roles. Well, exactly. Role models play a huge part in giving women the confidence to move forward. And I, I remember the big green bank where I worked, um, there were so few women at leadership levels. And I looked at them and I just kind of bowed down to them. I thought, well, how do you, how did you get there? And how do you maintain that career in this sea of men? And I remember walking into, you know, big meetings and I was the only woman in the room and every time I opened my mouth they would all just kind of stare at the ceiling and then talk afterwards as if I hadn't said anything like what am I invisible <laughs> um, so learning to find our voice and speak up is something we need to do and I wish that I had learned it earlier it took me a long time to do so and I'm trying to do that with my daughters and uh, they're kind of poo-pooing me at the moment but they're starting to see starting slowly to see the wisdom in, in what I'm espousing for them. That's really great advice, I think, um, for a generation of women out there. The other thing I'd be very keen to get your thoughts on, given, as you mentioned, women in payments is um, you do host symposiums in a number of different markets all over the world. I'm, I'm imagining there are some pretty significant geographical differences when it comes to things like gender equality and cultural differences as well. Um, to what extent do you think we, we are experiencing or to what extent are there challenges when we're thinking about this from a, a more global perspective and how important is it to keep in mind some of those cultural differences when we're trying to strive for gender equality? Oh boy, fantastic question, Kate. There are absolutely cultural differences across the different geographies and different countries around the world. And I think it really hit home when I first launched in Australia because I, you know, coming from Canada and Canada and Canadian cultures are, you know, quite similar, not totally similar, but I just assumed that, you know, Australia is another English speaking Commonwealth country. They're going to be the same as Canada, but that's not true. And there are a number of differences. And I think every culture, every geography, every country is at a different place in their, their gender journey, if you will. And we need to be very respectful of that. And part of that is the, the culture in some ways does not favor women and um, not every country has equal 
rights for men and women. And some countries don't have, for example, um, sexual discrimination laws uh, or even sexual harassment laws. So those are some of the things that different women around the world have to, to face and struggle with. Um, but the culture itself is, you know, for example, Asian culture, women tend to be much quieter and uh, more respectful of men as the, the patriarchs and the, the leaders. And there are many strong women, which is fantastic, but generally they're, they're more soft-spoken. So I, I find myself, I feel a little bit like the brass Canadian when I go to some of these Asian cultures. But I think by being a role model and offering opportunities for women in a safe place that women in payments can give them a stage, be it on the virtual stage or the, or the live face-to-face -face stage, to start building some confidence and um, comfort level with speaking to a live audience. And I remember, you know, early in my career, that was the last thing I wanted to do. It was like the speech in grade five you had to give, like I was trembling in the knees and practically melting in front of the audience because I was so terrified. But with practice, it becomes more easy and more natural and uh, you get much more comfortable with it. So cultural differences for sure. And I think what we're trying to do is just level the playing field, give women some opportunities to build their confidence and build their careers. And I guess the, the other couple of questions I want to end on is just a, the topic you mentioned before about the importance of having diverse leadership and how that impacts um, the end customer and shareholders and, and the longer or, or bigger impact that having diverse leadership um, creates. The, the first question I think goes back to what we we're talking about before around having the right people making decisions about products um, so that those products reflect the needs of the customers or the target market. Um, could you expand a little bit on um, how having diverse leadership does support that goal of having the right, in banking and financial services, has supports the goal of having um, well-created products that meet the needs of customers and I think also probably goes to the to points around financial inclusion as well. This is such a great topic and um, we've got 1.7 billion financially excluded or underbanked uh, people in the world and 56% of those are women. So financial inclusion is a huge concern and challenge around the world, some geographies more than others. Uh, and I think having women in leadership roles helps us as organizations. It brings diversity of thought to our approach, to our decision-making, to our employee engagement, but also to our customer experience. So if you only have, you know, all one type of person making a decision, you're not going to be able to have that understanding of different diverse uh, pockets of your customer population. So for example, if it's all white men making decisions for financial services products, whatever it is, a mobile wallet, a, a prepaid product, what have you, then how are they gonna understand that customer journey that the women have? How are they gonna understand how the the women will use and, and um, find value in those products or in the onboarding process, or you know, 
there's just so many different nuances in how we can add value. It's interesting. One of the, the um, e-wallet providers that I, I spoke to just yesterday out of Asia, 91% of their clients are women. And it's because they have dug deep into the needs of these um, Filipino clients who are migrant workers working in a different country wanting to send funds back to their families. And what they found was they get huge uptake if they give them the opportunity to not only remit funds, but to pre-fund an account at a grocery store, telecommunications, education, and to do things so that the funds go directly to where they're needed in the family and not into the pocket of somebody who may be less responsible in, in uh, spending those funds. So they've done a fantastic job of understanding that customer journey of, the, of their, their clients and been able to provide some product that is fantastically on point to meet those customer needs. I think that's a great point. Women still do play such different roles in a in a household to men do in most countries. I, you could probably argue all countries. Mm-hmm. Um, women do have different needs when it comes to the way that they manage their finances. And there actually isn't a lot that is designed specifically for women. There's sort of an assumption when we create banking products that um, this product we will sort of meet everybody's needs and we might create products based on millennials or older customer needs, but we don't actually think about gender. And I know as a, as a market researcher, I'm, I'm guilty of that as well, not looking at some of the gender nuances in terms of how customers manage their money and, and what they need um, from their banks. Well, excuse me, I do want to make a comment on that, Kate, because you're absolutely right. But I think some of the card companies have actually done some deep dives on gender and actually based our, targeted products at the needs of women or the desires or, you know, created products that actually do target women and perhaps some other um, ethnic or, or different strands of diversity groups. So that's, um, that's a, a huge opportunity that I think uh, we still have room to, to explore. Completely agree. And um, the other question I wanted to ask you on this topic and, and um, to wrap up as well, I guess, uh, what happens when we give women uh, leadership positions? What happens when we have more diverse leadership? What's the overall impact that we see on that business, on the end customer? Wow, that's a great question. I love that. Thanks. Um, I think number one is increasing our employee engagement is having, we have women leaders, then the rest of the organization, the women in the organization says, oh, Yes, I can get to that level. I would be accepted. I would have a voice at the leadership table. And that's hugely valuable because if I'm in an organization where there's no women past a certain level, I think, well, I've gone as far as I can go in this organization. So I'm going to go find opportunities elsewhere. And companies lose out in those kind of situations because then they've got to start all over again by hiring and training and getting people up to speed. And if the women are basically, you know, have this ceiling, then, then they're not going to be inspired to continue working for organizations like that. I've talked about shareholder value. I've talked about innovation, the increases in uh, innovation with more women at leadership levels. 
and also the client satisfaction. And I think this is a win-win-win on all sides. The other thing that I want to mention is women at, at leadership levels will help to put in place those policies to really make women feel like they belong and that they're valued. And one of those things that we haven't talked about is the gender pay gap. But you know, having women at leadership levels can help to put into place policies, procedures, um, to build gender and other equity, uh, other, sorry, other strands of diversity into the fabric of the organization so that it's just the way we do business is the right way to do business. It's right for our customers. It's right for our shareholders and it's absolutely right for our customers. So that's, that's really what we're after is equal opportunity for everybody to, to benefit everybody on all sides. So that's a great uh, point to end on. Um, Thank you so much for joining us. What actually I will get you to, to just finally wrap up with is um, tell us a little bit about what is happening with women in payments at the moment and what you've got coming up in the future. Oh, thanks for that, Kate. Oh, we're so excited. I mentioned we've got our 10-year anniversary coming up um, this year. So we're busy making plans for that. We're launching in Latin America uh, in August, which is going to be fantastic. And that's another untapped market for us. So lots of opportunity, but also, you know, this is a great opportunity for me and my team to stretch our learning muscles and learn about a new culture and learn how business is done, but also learn about what is the, the gender uh, agenda? Where is that in Latin America? And is it where um, where it needs to be, where they'd like it to be, what opportunities are there, and how do we navigate those cultural differences and geographic differences to bring value to that market. So we're really, really excited. We've got our, uh, the pandemic has actually been good for us because we're offering this platform for women to come together and support each other. And we do that in a number of ways. We run weekly palm cafes where People can hop on a Zoom call, no registration, no agenda, just uh, get on and have a quick coffee and, and meet some people you might not have known before. We've got weekly pause for payments discussions where we talk to some amazing woman from around the world of payments every week about either a, an industry issue or a career development issue. We've got our unicorn challenge, which is a FinTech pitch contest for women that we're at now running in five countries. And we're really excited to, to give women FinTech leaders opportunities to pitch and get the word out about their awesome new FinTech solutions. So we've got lots happening and I encourage anybody and everybody in the audience to check out our website, womeninpayments.org and, and join. You can join as a, as a basic free member and uh, connect with others and really help to build this global community of women in the payments industry. Absolutely. I can't wait to see what is happening next. Um, I'm looking forward to attending more women in payments conferences in the future, hopefully at some point in person. Um, thank you again so much for joining us today. It was such a great chat. I've learned a lot and you've given me a lot to think about. Thank you, Kate. It's been a fantastic opportunity. Thanks. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Global Digital Banker podcast. You can find us on iTunes, Spotify, and Podbean.